Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about Gavin Newsom in the California recall election. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So the Biden administration has sent out a request to refugee aid organizations to get ready to resettle as many as 50,000 Afghans as the U.S. continues to evacuate Afghans that helped throughout the war effort from Cabal. This comes as the Taliban announced that it will stop Afghans from going to the airport to flee the country and also as the Biden administration announced that it will have everyone out by the August 31st deadline. Terrell, we have already gotten Afghans and Americans, about 70,000 people out of Afghanistan just in the last week alone amidst this chaos that we've seen on the news. Um, Do you think that the Biden administration will be able to get everybody out of Afghanistan by the August 31st deadline? Um, I wish I had Intel briefings. Um, (laughs) it seems like they've done a pretty good job over the last week and we still have a week to go. I would, I would argue yes, but I think there's, so there's been a couple of news reports that have come out from the administration specifically, um, that Biden has really been pressing his intelligence, um, community and also the joint chiefs for contingency plans in case they don't make the deadline. Um, Not to say that's leading me to believe that we aren't going to make it, but I do think there is some hesitation and caution there that the, the, what if, right? Like, what if we don't make it? And we were just talking about this before we started the pod. Um, There's a lot of concern because the Taliban has rejected any extension. Um, The G7 has been pressuring Biden to fight harder and, and ask for a longer contingency. And that hasn't gone far. Um, so there's just all these pieces and all these uh, spaces where um, I can, I can be hopeful and think that we will make it. I think it's been a, su- a successful ish type process so far, <laughs> but you don't know, you really don't. And yeah. especially the, the other report that came out of Afghanistan recently is that um, Taliban is saying absolutely no more, Afghan people are allowed to flee and travel through the airport airport. So what does that insinuate and mean and yeah. have negotiations broken down that much that it's about to become another contentious fight? I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I've, I have no idea either. All I know is that if Biden's going to stick with this deadline, I think that the uh, best thing that he can do right now is get everybody out of there and make sure that everybody's out of there. In other news, On Tuesday, the House passed a $3.5 trillion budget framework with every House Democrat on board, despite Democratic centrists threatening to vote against it. This sets up a massive budget reconciliation bill that Democrats plan to pass alongside the bipartisan infrastructure deal. Um, Just so the audience knows, the House will vote for that bipartisan infrastructure deal on September 27th. So we got about a month until something, as probably everybody will say, historic happens. (laughs) No, I, I think this story deserves a little bit more of a piece and recognition, too, because Nancy Pelosi pulled this off. Well, for two reasons. One, this proves that the one time the moderate Democrats finally were like, we have power in this, too. It's not just the AOC progressive wing that can say they're going to hold up everything like we can do anything. They cave like most Democrats do. 
But also, Nancy Pelosi continues to come out and show that she is... Is the best. A legislative (laughs) genius and understands better than most how to carefully weigh... Uh, a multitude of opinions and a multitude of spaces and keep her congressional delegation together. Meanwhile, we now run forward to the Senate and you already have Kirsten Sinema coming out and saying that she can't support this price tag. You know that there are multiple other senators that feel very uncomfortable with the weight of this price tag. Mm -hmm. And we already know that Chuck Schumer is just going to be sitting there waiting for Kirsten Sinema to build a group of people who can now agree, like, I think it's very night and day looking at leadership from the House versus the Senate. And I also think it's very, uh, it's very troublesome knowing that Nancy Pelosi will not be speaker forever. And what does that mean for the Democratic Party when she is no longer speaker and knowing that her number two and her number three are close in age with her, which means they will probably retire around the same time she does. So there's just, we've talked about age a lot on this podcast and I I don't want to dwell into that piece again, but there's a lot of concern for me following this news that um, the party as a whole is in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I think that um, something I feel like I've noticed is that Pelosi just consistently delivers the house um, for whatever Democrat thing is going on. And I just feel like a lot of people don't like recognize it right now. Um, but in, you know, in future years after she's not speaker anymore, people are going to realize like how consequential Nancy Pelosi's work was and what she did, um, especially in this era of politics. Anyways, Terrell. It's good to be back. And I want to thank our listeners for putting up with you and Torrance while I had to take a little time away. What are we bad? I mean, I don't know how well you guys did at covering like international news. That's become one of my things so i'm i'm apologizing or thanking the listeners for being gracious to y'all we'll see um but let's travel the globe confusion follows vice president kamala harris after reports of two mysterious health incidents during her scheduled stop in vietnam per the associated press the havana syndrome as u.s officials coin it um gets its name from the multitude of American diplomats and other employees who reported strange illnesses um, in Cuba back in 2016. Officials do note that the persons involved were not um, in contact with the vice president and her travels will continue. I just want to note that this Havana syndrome thing like pops up in the news every once in a while and affects a different U S diplomat somewhere else in the world. And, um, it's one of those stories that it like quickly goes out of your head because there's so much other things going on. But I feel like we need to get to the bottom of what's going on here. Like this is actually pretty serious and U S diplomats, I mean, got to be a little fearful about what's happening here. One other piece too, to that, um, that I think is worth noting. There are concerns in, um, government right now because there've been two cases reported in Washington, which mm-hmm. is not, um, Traditional, normally it's been a a piece when diplomats and other um, officials are traveling abroad, but uh, there's still this broader conversation and recognition, just as you mentioned, of are there nefarious actors, which I do think make it interesting. I mean, we got to get to the bottom of whoever's doing this. In Africa, 
Algeria formally cuts all diplomatic ties with Morocco following what they have called um, hostile acts. Per the BBC, this comes after accusations of um, Morocco starting forest fires along the coast of Algeria. Um, There have been a history of tense relations between these two countries, um, dating all the way back until the 1970s, if I remember correctly, when Algeria backed the independence of Western Sahara from Morocco that inevitably sparked a 15-year war. Um, but since 1994, the year I was born, ironically, the border between these two nations have been closed um, due to Morocco for security reasons. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, Terrell. So in California, there is a recall election for Gavin Newsom on September 14th, mostly brought together by Republicans dismayed by his governance and pandemic response. For those who do not follow California politics, Gavin Newsom is the governor of California, the democratically elected, of course, democratically elected, but democratic governor of California. And seeing as we have a lot of Idaho listeners, probably most don't know anything about California politics. I don't know. A lot of people from California moving to Idaho. <laughs> Anyways, the top polling Republicans uh, running to get elected in Newsom's place are Larry Elder, who is a conservative radio host, doesn't believe in systemic racism, opposes gun control and abortion rights, and believes minimum wage should be abolished. He also has been accused of verbal and emotional abuse by his ex-fiance, but he is currently in the lead via polling. John Cox is a businessman who was the Republican nominee that Newsom beat big time in the last election. He believes in using the criminal justice system to force homeless people into mental health treatment and doesn't believe that they should get housing first. He also wants to cut $30 billion worth of taxes in the state. He also ran around the state with a massive bear as part of his campaign gimmick. I did did see that. A real, real life bear. <laughs> um, it was a little bit unbearable. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Faulkner is the former San Diego mayor who claims to be the most moderate of the bunch with the most experience in elected office. One of his biggest accomplishments as mayor was creating a program that offered developers relief on certain height and density regulations in the city if they included affordable housing in their projects that are close to public transit. He has endorsements from the traditional part of the state GOP. Hmm. Kevin Paffrath is a Democrat that wants to convert vacant commercial buildings into homeless shelters, but doesn't actually have a laid out plan to do so. And of course, although not polling well at all, um, Caitlyn Jenner gets an honorary mention uh, for running as the Fox News star of the whole program. Is she the Fox News star compared to Larry Elder? I don't know. She gets a lot of attention Uh, on Fox News, along with the bear boy. (laughs) (laughs) So... So now that we're done with the Island of Misfit Toys, (laughs) California's recall system is kind of strange. First, Californians get automatically mailed their ballot to vote, which makes it incredibly easy for registered voters to vote in. Yeah. There are two questions on the ballot. And the first one is, should Governor Newsom be recalled? It's a yes or no question. Mm -hmm. The second question is, if Newsom is recalled, who should be his replacement? And then there is a list of 46 names to choose from. (laughs) Why do I get weird New York rank and file nightmares back in my head? Oh my god! Rank voting. So, 
Newsom has to win a majority of the vote to stay in office, but he, but if he doesn't, the next top vote getter will be his replacement. Newsom's campaign is specifically telling voters to vote for him and leave the second question blank. But as Vox News points out, leaving that question blank can make it easier for an ultra conservative to win if Newsom fails to get the votes needed. Hmm. Here's the thing, though. Recalls are supposed to be about what the people want, right? But Newsom could lose to the first question by a narrow margin, like, I don't know, 50 and a half percent to, you know, 49 and a half percent. Can you not do math? Yes. And... <laughs> um, like he could lose by a super narrow margin like that. And then the next top vote getter in the long list of 46 gets to be governor. So it doesn't matter though, if the next person in that list gets 50% of the vote um, or not, like they might have 30% of the vote and they'll be governor. There's not a runoff system. It's just whoever's the next top vote getter gets to be governor. Um, and I'm not sure if that equates to what the majority of people want or not, but we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of consequences if a Republican governor wins. The two most impactful ones being probably COVID-19 policy over the next year and the possibility of having to replace Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is the oldest senator at 88 years old. Who's also running for re-election. Yes. Yes. And age comes back up again. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just me at this point. I attract it. (laughs) It is also notable that Democrats think Newsom will be just fine, although there is some worry about how weirdly timed this election is, and weirdly timed elections usually account for some weird results. It is also a little rattling, and yes, this is in my own words, a little rattling that the governor's election is literally next year in 2022, making this recall seem just a little bit more silly. I mean, maybe not to conservatives, because weirdly timed elections can yield weird results. Um, but anyways, first... And how Terrell, badly do they want to break into California and ruin the Democratic stronghold that is that state? Oh, so badly. Even though, even if they win the recall, they probably will get voted out in the literal next election. But I it's, digress. And it's tantalizing. But um, first, I want to get your whole reaction to this. Stupid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like... I, uh, you, I mean, you set it up right, like perfectly, right? Like a bunch of conservatives are mad that there is all of these policies restricting their activity because of COVID, which we have been found or which have been found to limit the spread, be helpful in keeping communities safe, do all the things you need, but also like he did flaunt his privilege a little bit and went to a couple of yeah. fundraisers in preparation for his reelection, which sparked a lot of this controversy. And that, that should be called out. Do I think that rises to the level that he needs to be recalled as governor? No. Um, and very similar to the conversation we had around Afghanistan, like California's homeless popular homeless issue is not governor Newsom's fault. California has had a homeless issue since the 70s mm-hmm. one of the harshest governors one of the the worst periods of time was actually arnold schwarzenegger like for that to even be used as a tangible reason to remove him as governor in my opinion i don't live in the state obviously but for that to be used as a tangible reason to remove him for governor just shows to me the hypocrisy and the willingness to use peoples as pawns in the system of well, you should vote for it because don't you hate the homeless population, or not the homeless population, but hate the homelessness issue and how it has plagued our country or our um, 
state. Like, yes, people do feel that, but this is not his problem. And sure, he has policies to work out and and ways to impact and and solve the problem, not solve it, but support in alleviating some of those issues. But also we have to own that California is not the only state with high rising housing costs. California also is constantly on fire, so it's not like they can build a lot of new places. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances that play into, and I'm harping on this because it's the part that frustrates me the most. Um, There are a lot of extenuating circumstances that play into um, the homelessness issue in California. And it just, it very much angers me that after all the times we've said, hey, Democrats, you should steal some or co-op some of the Republican talking points. They are effectively doing it right now to remove a governor from one of from the most populous state in the country um, just because they know that it's a message that people can buy into, even if they don't disagree with the COVID policies. Yeah, I don't I don't think I disagree. Obviously, we're not from California. We don't live in California and the politics in California are weird. It's also a massive state. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gavin Newsom definitely didn't do himself any favors by kind of going against his own COVID guidelines. What? Uh, several months ago, yeah. maybe a year ago now. I don't for know. a fundraiser yeah. for his reelection campaign. Yes. Which is also next year. Just quick reminder. If a Republican won in September, they're only like governor for a year, but um, they can do a lot of damage in a year. They can do a lot of damage for a year, but still, yeah, uh, it's noteworthy. Um, I don't know if, Newsom is particularly a super popular governor amongst Democrats too. And you don't have to like him, but it seems like if Democrats don't want somebody else in that position, that might be very conservative or whatnot. um, Then they probably want to uh, vote for Gavin Newsom to stay in Mm -hmm. office. Um, Terrell, I'm going to move on to the next question because I think... Yeah, isn't this supposed to be a what if, not a reaction? Yes, I didn't tell the audience that. That is... Oh. This is also a what if. What if Newsom loses? I know you had some thoughts about this in voting rights. I do. I And do we want to dive into that now or do we just want like, what if he loses? Who do I think wins? Because honestly, I have no idea. I think if he loses, California is in for a very rough... One, they won't know who the new governor is for at least two to three weeks, eh, maybe almost a month after. Yeah, because everyone's mailed a ballot. And it takes forever for them to count. Hence the reason, Yeah, uh, for listeners here, hence the reason Hillary Clinton's lead against Trump mushroomed in the weeks after the election because California's final returns didn't come in for two months later. Like That's just historically how California is, which... It's fine. From an <laughs> economic standpoint, can be concerning because the markets can shift, especially when all of your tech agencies are there and you have someone like Larry um, Larry Elder who is coming in saying, I want to cut the minimum wage. Granted, we know he can't do this. The legislature in California will still be overwhelmingly Democratic, but mm-hmm. it can spook the markets and then cause a lot of volatility that currently our country can't afford to deal with right now as we're fighting with um, inflation and all of our interest rate nonsense. So all that to say, if he loses a short, sweet answer to your, um, your question is, I think there would be a lot of confusion, uncertainty, and 
and a genuine worry of what can happen in that year in California. Yeah. Um, it's like the year of holding your breath until the midterms come along. Yeah. And I, I think you set it up well too of Newsom can lose this by a 50.5 margin. Yeah. In a state that is historically now, granted, they've had Republican governors before. A former president was the governor of California. Um, but a state that has become a lot more left-leaning. There is a real concern and a real fear that under certain leadership, there's a lot of damage that can come out of that. And and again, I think to if Larry, for example, were to win, there has been a constant fight with tech firms and tech agencies, most of which are housed in California for tax reasons, for um, intellectual property reasons. And there are things that he could do with that power that could be very detrimental um, to just development and growth. Also, you think about environmental policy. California has been leading that charge and has been a strong supporter for the Biden administration. So in a situation like this, a group that led a lot of Supreme Court arguments against the Trump administration and and um, have been at the forefront of trying to lead policies can all of a sudden flip and become a thorn in the side of the Biden administration's um, tenure. Yeah, and let's not even get started um, on the possibilities with our oldest senator, Diane Feinstein. She'll be fine. Yeah, I think she will too. Um, what do you think this says? If if Newsom were to lose, what do you think this says about the very accessible voting system that California has? You mean our entire conversation that we had beforehand? I I think I think if Newsom loses this is a very hard pitch now for why the John Lewis Voting right, Rights Act matters. And I know people are listening to that like, what? Um, this election is the Democrats to lose. The, they mailed, physically mailed a ballot to every registered voter in California. One of the reasons they decided to take that strategy was because their hope and their intuition is, while polling might have been low because turnout seemed like it was going to be low, if every voter got a ballot, they would be at least somewhat intrigued to say, okay, I care about this issue. I don't have to go to a polling place between a certain amount of hours. Um, I don't have to take time off work. I don't have to do all of these pieces. I can vote. Um, granted, you then had to play in there are certain voting boxes that you put these ballots in and that causes accessibility issues, but we'll, we'll revisit that later. Um, if Newsom loses, I think everyone from a political sphere understands it's not be not inherently because people dislike him. It's because turnout was very low and they weren't able to pull from the pockets that they need to to get that first question to be a no, he should not be recalled. That signals to me that, as we've talked about a few times, the issue with the American voting system isn't inherently accessibility. I do think in several states it is. There is a lot of voter suppression that's happening and we need to fix that. But for the Republican Party to say, we're not voting for this because we don't believe the federal government should be uh, this hands-on in state elections and, and how it's administered, with the Republican Party also making arguments that 
this type of bill is a democratic or the Democrats way of essentially stealing elections in the future and becoming the leading party. I think if they can't even manage to do that in California, where it is incredibly accessible, that tells me that the issue was never accessibility with voting. It's just the fact that we have an electorate, we have a populace that don't care. They're apathetic. They're unwilling to get engaged in the process. And very similar to the conversation we had off air, they care when a president's up. But in your midterm elections that are inherently important to the structure and and fabric of our democracy, both for the fact that half of your legislature is up for grabs, but also a lot of governors are voted on in that situation. A lot of state legislators are voted on in that situation. If you can't get a state like California that has led in environmental policy, that has been at the forefront of a lot of big policy initiatives, our vice president was the attorney general for the um, state, that signals to me that the problem is your populace is apathetic because you've disengaged them for multiple years. And just because you give them the right to vote um, with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act does not inherently mean they will actually take advantage of that. Yeah, and <clears throat> like that's a real worry of Democrats in the state, and their worry is about turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they, Even though everyone has a ballot, well, they think that they think that not a lot of the Democrats, the registered um, Democrats in the state, are um, thinking this is a big enough deal. And I think that like there's a few things I want to say. First of all. First of all, the voting rights um, bill that that Congress should pass. I think the main aim for it is to make elections more fair and to improve accessibility mm-hmm. and whatnot. I think that a, that one of the benefits that Democrats hope to get out of it is um, more people voting, which somewhat says that they'll win more too. Um, like we kind of saw bigger turnout help us against Donald Trump. Democrats in the state are worried that there isn't going to be turnout because they're not running against Donald Trump. Um, if that again to the apathetic issue, yes, and like apathy. I I don't I don't know if this if if Newsom were to lose, I don't know if the voting rights bill is becomes harder to pass. I mean, first of all, like I would argue it should become easier if I was a Republican in that moment after <laughs> seeing that I would be running to it because not only do you now get to pass this bill and say, oh, we voted for election security because we fought on these contingencies, but you get to watch the Democrats fall flat on their face, which I feel like is the only thing that keeps Mitch McConnell alive to this point. Well, I mean, if the Republicans want to pass this bill, this voting rights bill with Democrats, I'm still down for it, but I don't think the issue is that simple. I I think it's a lot more, um, I think there's a lot more nuance to it because like this is, as I said before, a weirdly timed election. It's on September 14th. Elections don't usually happen on September 14th. Um, and it's in an off year of elections in the state. And like we can look at special elections all over the place and see that sometimes things that would be expected in a normal election year are like not what happens in this special election year. And so like... I think I think that we have to take that into account as well, um, because I just think it's like it's really hard to say if Newsom loses, right? 
um, I think it's just hard to say that like, it's hard to say that this would have happened if he was recalled during like a midterm year or a presidential year, because I think those regularly scheduled elections um, mm. do would in fact help Democrats if they pass the Voting Rights Act. I mean, midterm is always what, 20% down from a general election year? Yeah, but that's a good point. That, I, I more mean presidential election years. But that plays into my point, right? Like, I agree, this is a very broad swat to paint, and I'm not saying this is tried and true, although I could write a great thesis about this and become a PhD published person before even getting a master's. Dr. Couch. Ugh. I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of like Dr. Souls for some reason. Like the Souls, shoe. you mean Dr. Sofa? Um, so that's my point, right? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> if your electorate only cares every four years because in their mind, the executive branch is the thing that does everything. What does more access mean? Like, I think, and this plays more in a strategy, and I'm sure I can get called out for this in certain spaces, but <laughs> when you're looking at this from uh, where we are in a very um, politically divided stance here, and I mean, I remember back in 2016, this became an argument after all the celebrities were coming out and saying, get out and vote, go vote. There was a really, really interesting opinion or an op-ed in Politico about do celebrities really mean that or do they want people that they know is going to vote the way that they want to be going out to vote? And is their message actually doing the opposite of what they want? Because now having them in the face and being the elites, more people are going out to vote opposite of what they wanted than the people who actually cared about what they're saying. All that say. If your electorate only cares every four years because in their mind, that's when the president gets elected and they know that they get to vote for all of these Senate positions. Blah, 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 blah. We also know that in this country, down ballot is very difficult. And um, those voters very rarely have split ballots. It's normally a very partisan ballot. If that is truly the issue, in my mind, and I, that's why I think this is a great example. The The heart of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is to, one, uh, resupport or refurbish the Voting Rights Act, but two, to kind of reignite the fire that came out of the 1960s. When the original Voting Rights Act was passed, it was a recognition that a group of people had been marching in the streets, had died. Another president had been assassinated all because of care for this core part of our country and this core right of peoples in this country to be active citizens in it. And I would argue we've lost that. People take voting for granted. And I, I think this recall in California is a great example of that. You physically, like in the 1960s, Lines would go for miles. People would be harassed. They, There would be fear of being arrested for being out at a certain point in time in a certain state. Like There are all of these connotations, and yet those people still manage to find a way to vote. In California, you are physically getting your ballot. And it is, as we've talked about in the what if, it is a very consequential vote for your state. If you care about environmental rights, if you care about 
civil rights, if you care about the homeless population, social safety nets, you don't want Governor Newsom to be recalled. So if you're physically getting a ballot and your mindset isn't, I'm going to do this because it takes two seconds, they've done, they've taken the job away from me from doing all the extra work. Mm-hmm. My genuine concern is that can be replicated in multiple other states that can be replicated in New York, Michigan, North Carolina, so forth and so on. The states that we tend to focus on here are your Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana's, where Idaho even, where voting voter suppression is so rampant and so noticed that we think the electorate is energized that if they got the right, they could. My fear and my reason for this elongated rant that you can now respond to is <laughs> if that's the precipice of why we're pushing for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, if it's to reignite that flame and get that fire in, but your electorate is already too apathetic to ever have it, giving more people the right to vote is great and important and what we should do, but it won't bring the outcomes that I think people are hoping it will bring. It it might not. And I don't necessarily disagree with you from where I'm sitting, whether whatever happens in this recall election, um, passing, expanding voting access to everybody and making our elections more free and fair, even if it doesn't have the benefits that maybe Democrats think it does, um, I still think is the morally right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And we should still do it. Um, I also, in regards to the recall, I, I think that Democrats are a little bit worried about turnout. And I think that Gavin Newsom's strategy of, hey, vote, um, vote to not, not recall me on the ballot, but don't vote for anybody else. Um, makes sense because he's trying to pit himself against this is a Republican takeover mm-hmm. power grab. I don't know if that'll backfire on him if a conservative person does win and he loses the recall. Um, but I think for conservatives, they're thrilled to have this opportunity because in a normal election year, they probably would not ever have this opportunity in California. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I one yeah. other piece to that too, because I did kind of forget this because I'm now blocked out that whole election. Republicans did show a weird show of force in 2020, specifically in California. Part of the reason Mm -hmm. the majority in the House is so slim is because they picked up a lot of surprising spots um, in the state of California. So to be fair, we picked up some surprising spots in 2018 as well. So Um, who's to say what we'll find out on September 14th? But also to put that in context, it's going to take a while, like unless it's a very clear one side one on the first question, we won't even know if he's been recalled for probably a week, week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably correct. Which is also postmarked by the 14th. So. Yeah. Which is also incredibly frustrating and will also probably spark some market shifts, but maybe who's to say we'll be right back. All right, Caleb, take us on a tangent. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> mine went so long in the whole what if story. <laughs> my my tangent um, will kind of sound a little bit like an above the whole piece today. Um, it's a new story coming out of Idaho, actually. So the last legislative session, Idaho lawmakers and the governor signed into law a bill that makes the ballot initiative process in Idaho one of the strictest in the country. 
The bill would have required ballot initiative campaigns to get signatures from 6% of registered voters in every single legislative district, and there's 35 of them, and would have required campaigns to get at least 65,000 signatures statewide. But just this past week, the Idaho Supreme Court struck the law down, saying that Republican state lawmakers had no, quote, compelling interest to add these restrictions. They also said that the bill created a, quote, perceived but unsubstantiated fear of the tyranny of the majority by placing it with an actual tyranny of the minority. I think that was my favorite part. Which is quite a quote, if I do say so myself. Um, Terrell, I suspect this nasty, undemocratic bill came from the success of an organization called Reclaim Idaho, getting Medicaid expansion on the ballot and seeing it pass with overwhelming support from the people of Idaho. Mm -hmm. And how does our legislator respond? They respond by trying to restrict that ballot access because they don't want the power of the people. They want to control the people. <laughs> I think my tangent is one of happiness that the Idaho Supreme Court had some sense to strike this ballot initiative bill um, down. Um, um, restricting ballot initiative rights is an undemocratic way of going about business, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um I don't even know if it's in my opinion, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think my tangent is just that like, I'm just so tired of like good policies happening because the people want it, even in surprising places like Idaho. And then legislators saying, whoa, 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 wait a sec. No, we're going to control you and say, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and also not listen to ballot initiatives. <laughs> and um, I just like, if, if, if a government's going to start ignoring your ballot initiative right um, and the right that you have for your voice in a democratic society, like, can we even call ourselves a democracy? I don't know. That's my tangent for today. Now it's your turn. Terrell, take us on a tangent. Did I not go on a long enough one before? Um, actually, I'm going to jump on that a little bit. Okay. Because... There were also some conversations I've been having um, around that and kind of the surprise with the Supreme Court's decision on the ballot initiative. What I found more surprising was Governor Little's mm. essentially overt statement that I'm signing this because I feel like I have to, not because I agree with it. Yeah, there's something very there was something very political because he said, let's see how this holds up. In yes, court. He, he was very direct that he felt that it violated the First Amendment and felt that it would not hold up constitutionally um if it went to the supreme court and yet still sign it and also noteworthy what a year and a half ago maybe two years before that he vetoed a similar bill that was slightly more restrictive because it upped the amount of a um, district that you needed and also had all mm -hmm. so the legislator came back and um changed it from you just need all but we'll keep the amount that you need from the legislative district to where it is now. And I just, I thought that was very interesting. And that was what led me to this, this mindset and piece that I had. Um, another fun PhD moment. I'm curious if, I'm very curious if the Republican party has lost its way, not because it's, not because it's inherently wrong, but because it feels as though it's a majority party. Like its identity has only been majority for I'll say the last 12 to 13 years. 
because of how uh, Mitch McConnell has operated because of uh, we can go maybe 20 years. Um, I mean, just how states are acting right now. Yeah. Like I really feel like what sparked this was one, the reclaim uh, or the ballot initiative in Idaho, but also uh, starting to have conversations around what redistricting is going to look like in Idaho. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of the, quick grab to limit more democratic uh, congressional spaces. And I just, I think back to when I really got involved in politics, when I really got interested in it, it was always an understanding that from a more liberal, progressive democratic space, their view of government and their view of policy is the federal government is put in space to support the people. So we will invest more in it. So it invests more in us. We will make the government bigger so that social safety nets exist so that it can do X and da, 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 da. Counter to that, the Republican party very much believes that shrinking the federal government and shrinking any centralized government allows people to have their own free exchange of ideas and do their own thing. Um, more fiscal responsibility, more opportunity, private, blah, 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 blah. But specifically in Idaho, after the COVID, um, not after we're still in it, but due to the COVID pandemic, the legislature has taken the right of the public health office to um, impose mass mandates or close school districts. They've given that power directly to the governor. They struck um, universities from their ability to say, we're going to close down or we're going to impose certain things. It has to be approved by the state school board And I just, I really started to kind of walk through this of, for the last few years, the Republican Party has been in the majority. It's pretty much been able to get whatever it wanted. Mm -hmm. Tax plan was a struggle. Obviously, healthcare never worked. But it also feels like the party itself has lost all of its original foundations. Like it's, the tax plan is a great example. In any other Republican Congress, that plan would have been so much smaller and simpler and not as conflated, but because the party feels that, and and this is an opinion, and because the party feels like it's the majority and it's in the right and it runs everything, it's become the party of big government. And it's just mind boggling to me. Yeah. But it's just so (laughs) mind boggling to me because that's what made our system kind of work of you had the one party that supported big government and doing things that needed to, and you had the other government that was like, no, we believe in small government. But now we've really entered this moral contingency of big government works. I think both sides are slowly starting to agree to that. But in different ways. Exactly. And that's become such a weird piece to me of how did this party transition here? And the only thing I can root to is they were a majority for too long. Hmm. I think that's a good place to end. Well, that's our show. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And we're Dangerously Likely. See you next week.